right. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. We thank the Lord for his goodness. We thank him because he's always uh, doing great things. And we thank him because in this day and age, as we draw closer to the coming of the Lord, we're thankful that he is speaking to us, that God has something to say. That does mean that at times we've got to uh, intentionally slow down and stop doing everything else. And on purpose, we must focus our attention on what God is putting before us so that we might receive the bread of heaven and that we might be able to consume that. Brothers and sisters, um, we last spoke, we are picking up um, this topic of uh, accountability. Now, when I first spoke about this, we gave you Second uh, Chronicles chapter 12, verses one and two, and then verses five through eight, also of Second Chronicles chapter 12. Those are the scripture uh, sets that we uh, have been using and are using to springboard into our lesson. The previous lesson, uh, we made it as far as accountability. But if you'll remember, the introduction of that lesson um, also indicated that we would talk about uh, knowing our enemy, okay, and understanding accountability. Well, we, we tackled accountability first, and it was a wonderful lesson. I pray that when you uh, hear it, that um, that you are just as much blessed by it as as I am, um, because it really was something worth knowing, and I'm glad that God gave that to us. Nevertheless, we ended with the topic of accountability. Now, for your reading, the scripture set that I gave said this: Second Chronicles 12, 1 through 2, and it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. And it came to pass that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Second Chronicles um, 12, now verses five through eight says this. So you just go down a few verses. Then came Shemaiah, the prophet to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah and were gathered together to Jerusalem because of Shishak and said unto them, thus saith the Lord, ye have forsaken me. And therefore have I also left you in the hand of Shishak, whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves, and they said, the Lord is righteous. And when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the Lord of the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance and my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they shall be his servants, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. May the Lord add a blessing to those who not just hear his word, um, but those that do his word, because that's that that's where the blessing is. The blessing comes when you take the word and you apply it. And I've said this before, I will say it again. Um, hearing the word to God 
is different than our definition of hearing the word. Our definition of hearing the word of God tends to be simply listening attentively. Okay, that's hearing. But in God's kingdom, in God's way, hearing his word uh, encompasses another element. That element is that of obedience. So in order for God to consider you as hearing his word, then you must transition from that of receiving this audio message through your ears and or ocular um, or audio rather uh, receptors, so to speak. You got to move beyond that. You got to move past that and you got to move into obedience. You got to apply that word because to the Lord almighty, if you are just listening to the word and you are not doing the word, then as far as he's concerned, you are not hearing the word and you got, and that's, and that's different. Okay. Bible says he that had the ear to hear, let him hear. God wants you to hear that word. Okay. He don't want you just listening to it. He wants you applying it. Okay. So that that's important for us uh, to know when we last left this, we, we talked about, accountability. And we said that, um, especially when we look at uh, verses in our scripture text, Second Chronicles chapter 12, when we look at verses five through eight, we see the threads of accountability all through that. Okay. We see it in the phrase, thus saith the Lord, ye have forsaken me. And therefore I have, I also left you in the hands of Shishak. Um, we see the threads of that, okay? We see the threads of accountability, okay? When he says, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. We see accountability, the threads of it running through this whole scripture set. And then when we see the phrase like that, ye may know, he says, nevertheless, ye shall be his servants, that ye may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries, again, you are seeing the threads of accountability being woven throughout the fabric, okay, and the tapestry that is this scripture set. And when we last talk about um, this set of scriptures, we discovered very plainly that God holds people accountable. Amen. Amen. Just because you get right with God, and we, we talked about this from the perspective of a person who fell into a backslidden state, okay, and, and, and they came back to God. We said that in that state of, 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 of being backslidden, you can undertake things and do things while backslidden or in this 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 state of rebellion against God because that's really what that is that's really what backsliding is that's just just that's none other than 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 rebellion okay but when you are in this and 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 in that way you can there's no the things that you get involved in the sin that you undertake while you are backslidden can have long lasting and serious 
uh, consequences and ramifications. Just because you come back, amen, and that's a good thing, because uh, Rehoboam and the kingdom, when they heard the word of God from the prophet Shemaiah, when they had got the word of God, they responded the right way. They basically repented when they said the Lord is righteous. That was an acknowledgement of that they were wrong and that everything that God had been saying, all that God is, he, that's right. So they humbled themselves. Okay. And the result of that is, is that it, they were granted a bit of a reprieve. They were not destroyed. God did not destroy them by the hand of Shishak, okay? He didn't allow them to just be wiped out, but they left God. They strengthened themselves. In other words, they got caught up in their own stuff, went their own way, and, and, and rebelled against God, and there were consequences for that. They came back to God. They repented. Amen. As if you are listening to this, if you, have, if you are backslidden, and you know you are, Yes, I'm talking to you. You know that you are. You know you've walked away from God. You know you've turned your back on God. You know that you are living by your own means and doing your own thing. You know you were taught better. You know you were in the church. You received the word of God. You knew what you were supposed to do. And for a time, you were doing it. But you got caught up. You got distracted by the, by, the, by the cares of this world. Maybe somebody said something that angered you, frustrated you, had a falling out, could have been anything. Maybe you just had a desire for different things that you allowed to get out of control and you fanned the flame of that desire before and before you knew it, you was out of the church. You were with the wrong crowd. You were in the wrong thing. You were doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. If you are backslidden, you know you backslid. It ain't, it's not a thing that, no, because you know the right way and you know the difference between the right way and the wrong way. And somewhere along the lines, you got off track and you walked into the, to the, in, this, in this state of rebellion, which caused you to enter into a predicament or um, a very, a reality of being backslidden, Okay. And this is something that you know. And if that's you, you need to come back. It's time to stop fighting against God. It's time to put down all, look, all the reasons that you came up with. Listen, God don't care about all that. There's no reason and nothing that you can come up with that will ever justify turning your back on God, walking away from the things that are holy. Some of you base it on what people do in the church. But the church didn't save your soul. Jesus Christ did. When you were obedient to the gospel message, you were baptized in the name of Jesus because you repented. You believed the gospel. You heard the gospel message. You put faith in that. And then you repented of your sins. And then you were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then you were filled with the Holy Ghost. You know the way. And no matter what you come up with, there will be nothing that will ever excuse you walking away. The best thing that you can do for yourself is go right back to God. Just go on ahead and apologize and repent again for that and get back in line with God. 
That's the best thing that you can do. That's the only thing to do. That's your only option. That's the only one that'll result in life. Because everything else, that's just a knockoff. That's not real living. I know the world got you thinking it, but it's not. It's not. That's just, that's just a lie sold by the enemy. It's not real living. Things are not better since you left. No, 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 no. The enemy is going to lie and try to tell you that, but it's not. And if you think it is, just keep right on moving. It's just a matter of time before you realize it's not. Because sin simply leads to more sin. You just start going further and further. You need to come back. It's time to let it all go. If when you were in church, because some of you are backslidden because you were offended. But had you kept your focus on what was really important, on why you were truly there, you wouldn't have suffered shipwreck when it comes to your faith. You are shipwrecked because you are you were caught up looking at people. You got caught up in the human element. And we are all sinners saved by grace. And in the church, provided you in it the way the Bible says, then you are truly part of the church. But be that as it may, God was always and is always working on us. Taking off the things that we don't need. What are you saying? I'm simply saying that in the church, your brothers and sisters are people just like you. And just like you, they make mistakes. But when you go to church, you can't go to church looking at people precisely for that reason, because people make mistakes and those that should do right by you, even in the church will sometimes do you wrong. If your mind is caught up on that, if your eyes are resting on that, then that will become your entire world and you won't be able to get past it when they drop the ball. And many of you are backslidden listening to this message wherever you are right now because you got caught up looking at everybody else. This is the equivalent of Peter getting caught up in the winds and the rains. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and he's like, Lord, if that's really you, bid me to come out, come after you. And that's the same thing with your salvation. You saw the Lord and you said, Lord, bid me to come out.
That's the equivalent of you turn, repenting of your sins, turning away from your way of doing things and turning and going towards the Lord. Peter got out of the boat and went towards the, the Lord. He got out of the so-called safety net that was the boat. It's the same analogy. You leave the confines of this broken life or this life adrift that you think is uh, safety or providing you safety because you realize that when Jesus came along, when Jesus came around, you realize that you wasn't really living at all. You realize that you were not safe. You were in jeopardy and that you really needed to be with him. And so you reached for him and in your own way. You said like Peter, Lord, bid me to come to you. And Jesus said, come on. What's that mean? That represents, he gave you the word. You followed the word of God and he gave you salvation. You repented of your sins. You were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. And then he filled you with the Holy Ghost. Not no knockoff. You knew what God gave you. He gave you a sign to confirm it. That's what tongues is. That's one of the functions of it. So you knew you, you, you look, I'm talking about the legit thing, the, the, the real deal. But then you got caught up with everybody else, looking at everybody else, looking at everything else. And you got offended. Your feelings got hurt. Your heart was broken. You were disappointed. You had been done wrong. And instead of looking at it as just that person making a mistake, you know what you did? You lumped everybody into the same category. It didn't, it moved from, you, you, you swallowed the devil's lie when he told you, see, that's how those so-called Christians or believers, they're phony, they're hypocrites, they're this, they're that. No, 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 no. What they actually are, are sinners saved by grace people who God is still working on, just like you. It's time to stop fighting. Time to stop trying to justify why you're not there and just go on back. Let it go. Let God take that, that anger and that bitterness. When you are at church, you are there to worship and to praise. You are there to focus on him, not me and not everybody else. I might disappoint you. People will disappoint you. But Jesus will be there, man, from start to finish. And I would love to say that he won't disappoint you, but even he would disappoint you when your motives don't align with his, which is why you got to allow him to purify you. Let the same mind that is in Christ Jesus be also in you or in us. You got to get your mind right because as long as your mind is wrong, you're going to be offended at everything, including Jesus. And you're going to be right back at square one all over again. And you don't want that. You don't want that. And God doesn't want that for you. So like with Rehoboam, it's time to come back. Amen. It's time to come back. And Rehoboam did come back. 
he and the princes in Israel, they did come back and God did forgive. And whereas he was going to destroy them, he did not. God made a new choice, and that was the choice not to destroy them. And I want to tell somebody, God wants to make a new choice concerning you, because right now you headed to destruction. And God has already spoken against your foolishness. And you can try to fight with God all you want. It ain't going to work. You still going to listen. You can't beat God. No. No. Not at all. Rehoboam had to, they, they, they had to go back to God's way. But nevertheless, as good as that was, it didn't remove all of the consequences. Yes, God chose not to destroy them, but they had undertaken some things while they were backslidden. And the consequences of those sins followed them. And that's what you were reading about when he says, I will grant them some deliverance. And when you read him saying, and the Lord saying, nevertheless, they shall be his servants. Why? To teach them the difference. There's a difference between serving God. It's a difference between what you have in God and what you have in the world. And if you don't, and listen, and if you don't, if you don't, the Bible said, never, listen, he told them in verse five, thus saith the Lord, yeah, forsaken me. And therefore have I let also left you in the hand of Shishak. We, we start in the hands of the Lord. When we come to the Lord, we are in his hands. Okay. And what the desire is and the goal should be is to stay in the hands of the Lord. That simply means that we stay obedient to the word of God and we stay in compliance with the word and the will of God. Notice that I said with the word of God and with the will of God. And notice that I didn't say with man, because that's where some people derail. You're trying to please man. You got to stop all that. God didn't call you to do all that. He called you to please him, to glorify him, to worship him. Take people out of the equation. What we do for people is because of what Jesus did for us. We don't do it because of the people, because the people ain't worthy, just like we're not worthy. But Jesus is worthy. So we do what we do because he's worthy. That, that, that's how that works. That's how that, that, that should work. We're in his hands. But if you decide to backslide and we walk away from God, then what happens is, is that just like with Rehoboam, well, what did the Lord tell him? He said, I've left you. He said, you forsook me, which means you abandoned me. You walked away from me. You left me. That's what that meant. So I left you in the hand of Shishak. See, when you, listen, when you decide that you don't want to stay in God's hand, you're going to be in somebody's hand. That's just the way that it is. And so through all of this, we learned 
what accountability is. And that's a good recap for someone who may not have listened to the first lesson. And this is the lesson that you come in on. That gives you pretty much a good gist of what you need to know um, about um, accountability. And because in that scripture, you see that, um, that, um, that, that, that God doesn't let people just get off the hook. You can undertake some things and while you're backslidden, and when you come back to God, the effects of what you have done or the consequences of what you have done can will live on. In other words, you'll find yourself still having to pay for those things. You don't just, yes, you're in good graces with God and God will now help you. But now you got this irritating and this annoying thing that you got to deal with. Why? Because you made a you made you made a blunder, a huge blunder while you were backslidden. And the consequences of that thing are not undone. That's the problem with, with sin. It looks good at first, but nobody ever talks about the aftermath, all the consequences that don't go away. That's where the real trouble comes in. Okay, that's where that comes in. Now, let's look at this verse, uh, verse eight again. Nevertheless, they shall be his servants that they may know uh, my service and the service of the kingdom. So you, 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 they're gonna be, you're gonna deal with, with Shishak. He's not gonna be able to destroy you, but you're gonna, but Rehoboam, you're gonna deal with, with, with Shishak. And through this, you're gonna know what, what it means to serve me and the difference between serving me and serving the world. You're gonna see that there is a difference because the world is not gonna treat you right. The world is not gonna do you right. The world's not getting ready to, 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 to hook you up. It's not getting ready to be all peaches and roses. And that's not going to happen. So now you, you're getting ready. You're getting ready to learn what, 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 goes, what goes on. Because like I said before, go back up to verse number, uh, verse number five. Amen. What did he, what did he say in verse, number, uh, in verse number five? He said, thus saith the Lord, you have forsaken me and therefore... Have I also left you in the hand of Shishak? And I said before, when you leave God's hand, when you decide you're walking out on God, you're going to walk into something else. When you jump out of God's hand, you're going to fall in somebody else's hand. And that hand is the hand of the enemy. And that brings us into this concept of knowing and understanding the enemy. Okay. This is what we want to talk about today. Now, look at Luke um, chapter 22, verse 31 and 34, as we springboard from our, um, from our Second Chronicles um, 12 scripture set, okay? Look at Luke 22, 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day. Before that, thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Okay. Take a look at all this, right? Because in our chronicle set scripture, God says, you, 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 you've abandoned me. 
So I left you in the hand of Shishak. And he said, after they repented, that, that's good. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I accept that. So, so, and I'm, so I'm, I'm going to give you some deliverance. I'm not going to destroy you like I was. But nevertheless, you're going to have to deal. You will be his servants. You will deal with Shishak. You will be in the hands of the world. Now, when we talk about being in the hands of the world, what we are really talking about, family, is being in the hands of Satan, okay? Because the world, um, whether they, um, they don't realize it, but they carry out his will, okay? The systems and many of the systems and things that go on in this world, many of these things are, um, um, are the will of Satan being carried out because you can see the threads of the satan's uh, movements all throughout um our uh society and the societies around the world you see it it's universal satan is at work okay satan is at work okay in luke chapter 22 there is a phrase in the 31st verse that says satan hath desired to have you and then he gives the reason jesus gives the reason that he may sift you as wheat now the first thing i want you to understand is is this satan wants you now i want to qualify this okay that he may sift you as wheat to sift simply means to separate, okay? Through a, it's, it's, it's to separate, okay? Um, through uh, through a, 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 a sieve or, a, uh, or some other kind of uh, straining device, okay? And what, it, what it's designed to do when you sift something, you separate it, okay? Um, finer pieces from more coarse or larger pieces. Okay. And that's usually what you do when you, when you sift something, you, you, you're, you're trying to separate, um, some of the finer pieces, um, or elements from the more coarser elements. That's what you're, what you're doing. Okay. When you're, when you're, when you sift something, when you sift something, you separate it. Okay. So you, 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 it, it, it starts out together, but, but you, through the sifting process, you strain out certain things. So you don't have the context of the whole, you have just a portion of it because when the sifting process is done, then, then the finer pieces are going, to, um, um, are going to congregate together and the more coarse or bigger pieces are going to be um, left together. So there's this, this, sep this separating, okay? And Jesus tells Peter that Satan desires to have you because he wants to separate you, wants to isolate you, okay? Wants to, to, to pull you away. Away from what? Away from him, away from the Lord, okay? You and I are not designed to survive without 
the Lord's presence because he made us. He is our creator and he is our sustainer. And if we are going to experience uh, life like it's supposed to be, um, true living, whatever that may be, um, um, in your mind, in God's eyes, and in his mind, it's you being by his side. That's true living. That, that, that's true living. You, you are in obedience to the word of God. Now, the world's definition of true living, that's something else. And I'll leave that to your own um, mind and imagination to, to, to come up with examples of that. But as it concerns God, true living is doing what the word of God says. Okay. It's being obedient. It is, it is walking in unity with the creator. Amen. In short, it's, it's being born again. It's being saved. Amen. Amen. Eligible to experience and to receive all of the best that God has to offer. Why? Because you're on his side. That's true living. True living is having an open heaven. Uh, and by that, we mean a God in heaven who's smiling on you. There's only one God. So, so bear with some of the, the phrasing. But true living is, is having God Almighty who sits high and looks low, look down at you. And you know what he sees? See somebody covered by the blood, somebody who's been obedient, who's accepted the provision of grace that he made to pay for the sin that that's true living that that that's true living it's true living is is having having the god having god almighty there and being able to call on him and know that when you call on him he's going to answer you and he's going to fix the situation you don't know how but he is going to intervene in the way that he does and knowing that you both have the right to call on him and you're not ashamed to call on him. Why? Because you're living right. You're operating right. There's no shame. Perfect love casts out all fear, right? There's no shame. There's no fear in any of that. You are operating in love, that love towards God. You live in right. You're doing those things. Amen. Amen. That's living. When God can bless you and don't have to go around punishing you and chastising you, that's living. Punishing, chastising you because we just won't do right. No. God wants something more for you. You should want something more. You should want to be at peace with your creator. And in the word, he has outlined the method by which we have peace. Again, I've said it before, and I never get tired of saying it. You got to believe the gospel. You got to repent of your sins. You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And when that happens, you have the war ends. That's how you stop fighting with God. You admit you're wrong. You confess you're wrong. 
And then you be obedient to what he told you to do. Accept his provision. That's all you got to do. But nevertheless, Satan desires to sift Peter as wheat. Wants him to be isolated and wants him to be separated. And the same thing that he wanted for Peter is the same thing that he wants for you. So the first thing that you want to understand is, is that Satan has a desire for you. But I want you to understand something, okay? When Satan desires to sift you, he wants to separate you from God, who is your life source, my life source. So in essence, when Satan desires to sift you, the separation that he wants to invoke uh, upon you or bring about in your life is a separation that he knows will result in your death. In other words, he's trying to separate you from your life source because the true life source is the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read about that in, uh, in, in the gospel of John chapter one. Starts within the beginning was the word. And you keep going all the way down. It starts talking about, you know, saying that he is the light and that light was the light of men. And, and, and if you go into keep going, and it, basically what he's telling you is that he's the life source. That's really what that means. He's that true light. And that light was the light of men. That literally means that he's the life source. He is the life-giving spirit. His word, his way, everything about him. Jesus is life. He is life. <laughs> a lot of people don't understand. He is life itself. And so, of course, Satan wants you to be separated from that. Jesus gave us the analogy. What did he say? He said that he is the vine, the true vine, and we are the branches. He says, apart from him, right, you and I can do what? Nothing. We cannot live separated, us being branches, from the vine. The vine is the source of life. All of the nourishment, everything that we need comes through the vine. And under no circumstances does Satan ever want you to remain connected to the vine. You don't want that. And I want to tell somebody, the devil got plans for you. And it is time for you to wake up. Because you've been asleep far too long. Naive to the devil's schemes. He's got desires for you. And they are not desires for good. They, and they are designed to separate you from your life source. The end game. The end result of what the enemy is looking for, what his desire actually is. I'm going to make that plain. He desires your death. Plain and simple.
the devil hates you with everything he got. Don't you think for one moment that it is ever about simply you serving him and he being your fake God? No, 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 no. Don't you think for one moment that it is ever just about that? The devil hates you with everything imaginable. And what he wants more than your service is your death. And do you know why that is? Because the devil is not stupid. He knows that your service to him is short-lived. Why? Because his death has already been pronounced. His judgment has already been set. He knows he got he on borrowed time. You think he's just going to spend all his time? Trying to build a kingdom? That he already know going to get burned up? He is just not that ridiculous. I ain't trying to give him credit, but he ain't that ridiculous. His goal is to take everybody he can with him. And don't you be deceived and think for one moment that that's not his end goal, because it is. He know he can't win. He know he can't win. So he's trying to take as many people as he can. Satan have desired to sift, desire to have you. And that's what he wanted Peter for. He wanted Peter for his destruction. And that's the same thing that he wants for you and I. There, it's important for us to know the enemy. And so let's take some moments to look into this. This is such a big topic. I, I more than likely will probably break this up into two um, lessons. We'll go as far as we can, but you really need to know this. I don't want you to prayerfully listen to this. I want you to, because it's time to stop being naive. It's time to stop just being taken advantage of by the enemy and, and just being his punching bag and, 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 and doing his bidding and his will, man. He, he, some of us, man, he got us jumping through hoops like puppets on a string and we don't realize what's going on. And sadly, He's even pulling the strings of so-called believers as well. It's time to get unplugged from the devil's schemes and walking into his stuff unintentionally or intentionally and learn what this thing is really about, what we are up against. You need to know this. You need to understand, not for the purpose of you being afraid. This lesson ain't designed to make you afraid of the devil. Yeah, the devil got power, but he ain't got all power. Uh-uh. Not at all. But this is to give you some understanding, some knowledge. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we're going to speak some faith into somebody. You're not going to walk away from this one afraid. Now, if you ain't living right, you're going to be afraid. But you ought to walk away from this wise. 
armed knowing what to pray about and what to pray for and understand what you're up against. Knowing your enemy is important. See, within the undercurrent of this world's messages, there's many of messages, okay? The Bible tells us very plainly, there are many voices in this world, many sounds, and they all signify something. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's messages, there's, there's, there's word, there's th everywhere, everywhere, okay? But within, but if we, if we confine it to the spectrum of the world, okay, dealing with that, within the undercurrent of this world's messages, the messages that they, um, that, that, that they promote, okay? And, and you can recognize these messages. Perhaps you've heard them before. They are the messages of that, that, that go like this. It, it, it's all about you. Those kind of messages. Messages that, that, that say, make your mark on the world. It's your world. Message that's, that, that say, do, do your thing. It's, it's, yeah, you do your thing. Messages that, that promote, um, you have to get yours and, and I have to get mine. You know what I'm talking about. Those types of messages, those messages that sound like do what's right for you. Hey, as long as it makes you happy, long as, you know, you, you, you feel good. It's, 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 it's about what's right for you. Messages like <laughs> live your best life. That's what the world is talking about. But that message disguises a hidden message. There is a message underneath that message. One that is almost imperceptible. One that we can hardly recognize, many of us, barely see or even hear. Because within all of those messages lies, within all of those messages, subtly lies the devil's doctrine or the devil's teaching, if you will, of self-reliance, social indifference, natural and divine independence. Underneath all those message is the hidden message of self-reliance, the hidden message of self of social indifference, the hidden message of natural and divine independence. In other words, underneath the world's messages is the hidden message of I, me, and my. You know them better as pride and lust. That's the hidden message. That's the message that goes underneath the radar. And we need to understand this because God holds us accountable. And if you decide that you don't want to do it God's way, you want to do it your way, 
doing it your way is the same as saying, I want to do it the devil's way. And like with Rehoboam, he says, you forsook me. You walked away from me. Therefore, I left you in the hands of Shishak. If you walk outside the hands of God, and by that we mean the way of God, you're going to step into the way of Satan. And the consequences, you're not going to be able to escape. Yes, God will forgive you. But if you go too far in that foolishness, you're going to undertake some activities that's going to have some far-reaching consequences long after you've come back to God and apologized and he's taken you back. So you need to understand what we're talking about in this message. Because when we talk about knowing the enemy, we're really talking about what you are opening yourself up to when you decide you're going to walk away from God and you're going to walk your own path, which is the same as saying, I'm going to walk the devil's path. You need to understand that. That's what this, that's, that's how this all ties together. Because he said, nevertheless, you shall be his servants. See, Jesus said, no man can have two masters. You can't serve two masters. You're going to love the one or hate the other. And if you ain't serving God, you listen, there are only two options. You either serve God or you serve the devil. You do not have to be possessed to serve the devil. Because a lot of people, they associate that with just straight up demon possession. And we'll talk about all those things too as well. But most times it's, it's more subtle than that. It's I, me, and my that got you doing the devil's work. He ain't even got to possess you. Because you self-centered and selfish, just like him. And that's all he needs. Because the adage is still true. Birds of a feather, they flock together. Some of y'all, the devil don't even have to possess you. You, you so in league, he ain't even got to do no work. You are easily deceived. Seduced by your own pride and your own lust. And so the messages of the world are designed to fan the flame of that very thing. That's the undercurrent of the world's messages, I, me, and my pride and lust. The Holy Scriptures family teach us that before salvation, um, the salvation of a person, the Bible teaches us that before salvation, a person is dead in trespasses 
and in sins. That's what the Bible teaches us, that before you're saved, okay, and you're alive, if any man be in Christ is a new creature, old things are passed away, all things have become new, okay? Before you are saved, you are dead in trespasses and sins. And so in this state of natural living, you're living in the natural, but you are dead in the spiritual. So in this state of natural living, but spiritually dead. So in other words, the living dead, because that is actually true. That's what, that's how you operate. It's how I operated before I came to the Lord. I was the living dead. You hear what I'm telling you? Alive in the natural, but dead in the spiritual. And when we were in that state, we behaved or we were obedient. We were in obedience to the authority or the government of the unseen world or realm. This is what the Bible teaches. This realm is also known as the, the, the demonic realm. Okay. The demonic realm. And this is what the Bible, it, the Bible teaches us this, that when we were in that state, we behaved while we were in that state. We were in obedience to that authority structure, the authority structure of the de demonic realm. And we're going to get some scriptures on that in a, in a moment. Okay. That's what we were. Now, we see this in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. Okay. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Pay attention to that. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I told you, okay? That's Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And what that is telling us is, is that before salvation, a person is literally dead in their trespasses and sin. And while, and while you are in that state, while I was in that state of natural living, but spiritual deadness or spiritually dead, my way of operating, my way of living, my way of doing things, I behave, my behavior, they were all in obedience to the authority structure of that, that unseen world or that hidden realm, that demonic realm. That is what is referred to when the Bible says, amen, in verse number two, Ephesians chapter one, verse number two says, where in time past, amen, ye walked according to the course of this world, according 
to the prince of the power of the air. You hear what I'm saying? The prince, that phrase, the prince of the power of the air, that power is talking about authority. Okay. And the air there is referring to that hidden realm or that, 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 as we call it, that, that, that realm where the, un, where unclean spirits, where enemy, where, where, where the devil operates is basically what that refers to. And you operate it according to the prince. That prince is Satan. Amen. The title prince uh, some is also can refer to angels. Amen. Angels, the angelic host, are sometimes in scripture referred to as princes. And in here, Satan is being referred to as that. And he's saying that he's the prince. Basically, he's the leader, he's the ruler of the power of the air. He's talking about a, a kingdom, the authority structure, the government structure of the demonic realm. That's what's being talked about here. When we talk about the demonic realm, what are you talking about? We're talking about The realm where unclean spirits and fallen angels operate beyond the physical perception of your eyes. That's the unseen. And that's what he's telling you. He said, at one point, you operated according to that. You operated according to that. Amen. Amen. The prince of the power of the air. Let's talk about that prince. Let's talk about who that refers to. That's Satan. Satan goes by many different names and you need to know this because nestled within many of the names of Satan um, is revealed the character of Satan. And this is something that you need to know because these characteristics give clues or give, or, um, um, give information or knowledge on how Satan operates. In other words, his nature, his, his method of operating. You can learn a lot about him through his names. Listen, you got the name, you don't, don't, you don't need to fear his name. Satan's, you don't need to fear his name. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. But you do need to be aware of it so that you know when he's moving and how he's moving, okay? Satan simply, sim Satan means adversary. Okay. And you can read that in first Peter chapter five, verse eight. Okay. Satan, the, the, the name Satan means adversary. Okay. And, and, and it can refer to when you start talking about that adversary, it can, it refers to at time the, the Satan, uh, uh, the chief devil himself, Satan, but it also at that, that title adversary. Okay. All unclean spirits and fallen spirits, they operate as Satan. They operate as adversaries. You understand? So it is, it, 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 re it reveals both the characteristic of fallen spirits, fallen angels, 
these unclean spirits, but it is also a name or a title for the chief one among them. Okay. So, so you, so you just need to know that that, that term Satan can refer to the activities of unclean fallen spirits or angels, but it can also refer to the chief unclean spirit himself, Satan himself. Okay. Um, he's also known as Abdon or Apollyon. And you read that in Revelation 9, 11. Those are also two names for him. And those names mean destroyer. Okay. Satan is a destroyer. He's also goes by the name or the title Lucifer. Okay. We know that as his original name, you can read that Isaiah 14 and 12. Okay. And, and Lucifer means day star or bright one or shining one. Okay. Man, he goes by the title devil. Okay. And unclean spirits also go by the title devil as, as well. Okay. You read that in revelation um, 12 and 10. Okay. And the word, the term devil simply means accuser or slanderer. You need to understand that. Why? It's because the devil is all one of the, one of the, one of the chief operations of the devil is to slander and char tarnish your name. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. So you got to understand he is going to spread, spread lies. He is going to tell lies. That is what he does. That is what he does. He is the devil because he is the accuser. The Lord saves you by his grace, but every time the devil, every time you, you slip up and you fall or whatever else, the devil right there to try to say, see God, see what he did, see what she did, see who they are. See, they, they, he's the accuser. He's the accuser. To make that plain, you simply need to remind yourself of what is recorded in the book of Job. When the sons of God presented themselves before God. What did Satan do when, when presented with the information about Job? Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him and all and, and, and go on and, and so forth and all these different, he's, he's upright and he's all of these different things, right? And then what does Satan do? What's the, what, did, what, what do he do? He starts accusing Job. That is the same thing that he does to you and to me, every time you, he, he, uh, listen, dev, the devil is always, the devil wants you, listen, the devil wants you to fall, you know what I'm saying, more times than you can count. Why? So he can point it all out and try to convince God why he shouldn't forgive you. Why you not worth it? Why does he do that? Because he's the devil. It's in his job description and, de and devil means he's the accuser of the br of brethren. Another thing is, is that it's, is that word slander. <laughs> that being, you know, say that not only is he going to accuse you, but he's going to lie about you. He's going to stretch the truth. He's going to bend it all up. He's going to do everything that he can. He's going to put frame things in a way to try to make you look as bad as possible. But I'm so glad that we serve a God who don't listen to the devil. He don't care what the devil say. And it's time for you to stop caring what the devil says and start caring about what God Almighty says. Because you don't have to do what the devil tells you to do, but you do have to do what God tells you to do. And the devil has to do what God tells him to do. 
So some of you need to decide who you're going to reference. Because some of us giving too much credit and too much power and too much authority to the devil. When the word of God Almighty overrides all that. Just putting it out there. One other title um, of the devil is dragon. Okay. And that title, you read that in uh, Revelation 12 and 9. You can see that. Okay. And that's a title that represents um, refer that basically kind of indicates his, his his the devil's power, okay. But it also um, indicates it also indicates his nature he, that 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 beast that ferociousness, all of that. In fact, one scripture calls him the red dragon, okay. Now the accuser of the brethren, you read about that in Revelation twelve and ten, and we talked a little bit about that. That is also a title of him, the adversary. We read about that again. Um, that's what Satan means, adversary. So that, again, is 1 Peter 5 and 8. Then you got um, Beelzebub, okay, or Beelzebub, okay, Matthew 24, I mean, Matthew 12 and 24. And that simply means Lord of flies or the prince of demons, okay? So he is the prince. Remember, in times past, we walk according to the prince of the power of the air. That means he's the leader of the demonic kingdom. OK, and Beelzebub means that he is the prince of demons. That's what that refers to. So when you see that scripture in Ephesians and it's talking about according to the prince of the power of the air, he's talking about Satan by another name, Beelzebub, because it means prince of demons. And that's what he's talking about. Those powers of the air. That's the demonic kingdom. Hopefully that makes sense to you. Another scripture, um, another name is Belial. You read that in Second Corinthians uh, 6 and 15. Okay. And what that means, it really means it's worthless. Okay. So the, the, it means worthless in the, in, in the old Testament. Okay. So, so one of the titles of him is that he's worthless. <laughs> the, 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 another title for him is the deceiver of the whole world. You read that into again, revelation 12 and nine, he is called the enemy. Matthew 12, 13, 28. He's called the Rick, the wicked one. Matthew 13, 19. He is called the father of lies. John 8 and 44. He is called a murderer from the beginning or a murderer. John 8 and 44 also. He is called the, again, we just read this one, the prince of the power of the air, which is really refers to that Beelzebub thing. Jo that's Ephesians 2 and 2. He is referred to as the prince of this world. That's John 12 and 31. That's also John 14 and 30. And that is also John 16 and 11. Make sure you guys are, you, you, you writing these things down or hopefully you have this recorded so you can go back and listen at these and get these scriptures and read those scriptures. Man, he's also referred to as the God of this world, the little G-O-D. That's Second Corinthians 4 and 4. Okay, the prince of demons. That's be, that's Beelzebub. Okay, that's also again that's uh, Matthew twelve twenty four. He's also called that old serpent. Revelation twelve and nine. Amen. That old serpent. Okay, that's not just a reference to the fact that he is called a dragon, which is referred to as a serpent, but also going back to the garden where he first shows up and entices mankind. Okay. That's that 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 serpent. Remember that. That's all. That's that's what that title, old serpent, refers to. He's also called the tempter. You read that in Matthew uh, four and three, and then First Thessalonians three and five. And he's also called the tormentor. 
Don't give you no peace. You can see that and read about that in 2 Corinthians 12 and 7. Look at all these things. So you got all these different titles for the devil that the scripture gives us. And within these, these, these titles, the titles themselves are either self-descriptive and tell you what it means. And then in some cases, they, the words are defined. And through the definition of that word or of that name, you learn about the character of the enemy. Okay. And these are things that you need to, that you need to know because, because in these things, you are learning about Satan and the way he operates. He is your adversary. His intent is to destroy you and everything that pertains to you. He is going to try to do it by trickery because he is transformed, as the Bible calls it, into an angel of light. Hence the day star or bright one or shining one. So he's a master of deception. He is going to accuse you and slander your name. He is going to try to make you look bad by pointing out all of your flaws. He's going to try to flex his power because he's a dragon. He has the character, that mentality of a dragon. Do you hear what I'm saying? He is not alone. He is the prince of demons. So he's got the goons working for him too. He is your adversary. He's against you in every way possible. And he doesn't just accuse you, but he's going to accuse the brethren. He's going to accuse every, listen, you got to be sprayed up and stayed up and ready. Why? Because the devil's going to try to get in wherever he can, even if that means telling lies on your brothers and sisters to tarnish your view of them. Oh, I'm talking about it today. We uncovering all of this. And why does he do it? Because he's worthless. He ain't got nothing better to do than to cause trouble. He is worthless. And he's got the whole world full. He is your enemy. He is as wicked as they come. He lie about everything. He's the father of those lies. All he want to do is kill. So he's a murderer. And he's been doing that from the beginning. Who did he murder? Do you think that just means? That it was his seduction of Cain? In order to murder Abel? Mm-mm. The Bible says he was a murderer from the beginning. It goes back further than that. Through his words, he committed murder. 
not just on Adam and Eve. Because they bought into his lies. Oh, but it didn't, but it didn't even start just there. Because you also learn that there was a war in heaven. And Satan threw his lies. He took part of the heavenly host with them. And when they decided to pledge their allegiance to Satan, to Lucifer, I submit to you, he had murdered them. Sealed their fate. So these are things that you need to know. These are things that you, that we need to know because in the title, we don't need to fear the devil. We need to be aware. We need to know because in it, we learn how he operates. Okay. We learn how he moves. We learn the character of Satan. See the demonic realm. Remember According to, we walked according to the course of this world. That means the way of this world. We, we followed the pattern of this world. And the pattern of this world was dictated according to, was dictated by the prince of the power of the air. So in other words, we followed the way of the world and the way of the world was dictated by the prince of the demonic kingdom. So the way the world operates is according to the whims of Satan himself. That's really what that means, okay? The demonic realm is its own kingdom and Satan is its leader. Luke 11, 17 and 18. But he knowing their thoughts said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, watch the word, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. Remember, that's the prince of demons. That's what that means. Notice that verse 18. How shall his kingdom stand? The demonic realm. I'm going to say it again, is its own kingdom. Notice it says, how shall his kingdom stand? Talking about Beelzebub, who is who? Satan. And he, he Satan, so the demonic realm is its own kingdom. And Satan is their leader. Okay. He is their leader. He is the prince among them. Okay? Now, the character of Satan is that of a fallen character. Isaiah 14, 12 through 17. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken 
the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble? that did shake the kingdoms, that made the world a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners. Satan has fallen. His character has fallen. He has literally fought, fallen. Jesus said, I, be I beheld him fall as lightning. He has literally fallen. He's been thrown out. And his nature has fallen. It's corrupt. Look at Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19. Son of man, take up the lamentation against the king of Tyrus and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God, thou seal, sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Okay, now this is a double reference. He's getting ready. You, you see the king of Tyrus, but this actually represents Satan. Okay. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, the gold, the workmanship of thy, ta thy, ta thy tabernacle, and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covered. Amen. That's we talking about Satan. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. Talking about Satan, but watch this. Till iniquity. That's lawlessness was found in thee by the multitude of thy merchandise. They have filled the midst. They have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee. O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Remember, he's called you know, <laughs> the more the uh, more uh, the morning star. Okay, remember we said that, or son of the of the morning, which means day star. Remember that we talked about that one of those things that's what <laughs> that's what Lucifer actually means. That's what the name Lucifer means. Daystar, bright one or shining one. And then you go back down to e to Ezekiel. And he's telling you and he's and he's breaking it down at, back at verse 16 in, in chapter 28 by the multitude of thy merchandise. They have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. 
Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thine beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquities of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that knew thee, that know thee, among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be anymore. He's fallen. That iniquity, that pride, all this, he's fallen. The character of Satan is that of a fallen character. His character is corrupt through and through. And that's what we mean by fallen. It is depraved. It is wicked. It is malicious. It is evil. It is worthless. Do you hear what I'm telling you? It's fallen. And what Satan wants Well, he wants you to be just like him, fallen, corrupted. Do you hear what I'm telling you? We learn about the nature of Satan. He's a liar. And when we say that Satan is a liar, what we mean, this means that he's full of propaganda and false messages. That's what that means when we say he's a liar. John 8, 44, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. He's corrupted. His message is corrupt. The truth that he wants held is corrupted within him. It's, it's, listen. No. He's utterly depraved. He operates, talking about the nature of him, he operates as a wild beast. In that he has the mentality of a predator. That's the mentality of him. The devil is a predator. Look at 1 Peter 5, 7 through 9. Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, 
is a roaring lion. As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Did you see verse, did you, did you hear that? Verse eight, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, said you got to be sober and you got to be vigilant. You got to have your wits about you. Seeking whom he may, he is hunting you. And all of his lies and his propaganda and all that kind of stuff is all designed to hunt you down. To wrestle out of you. The life that is in righteous living so that you might trade in righteousness for unrighteousness. I'm telling you. Don't buy into the devil's trash. It's just trash. He's trying to take from you. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The opposite of Jesus, of what he's coming to do is what Satan wants to do. He's the thief. Trying to rob you of your walk with God. Trying to rob you of your prayer life. Trying to rob you of your study time. Trying to rob you of your family. Trying to rob you of everything that, listen, the devil does not like you. And some of you need to wake up to that. Some of you need to wake up to that. He said in 1 Peter 5, 7 through 9, casting all your cares upon you. For he careth for you. And then he goes in to be sober and be vigilant. Do you know why he does that? Because it's if you get caught up in all your cares and all the worry and all of these other things. You will become drunk on those things, consumed by those things. Thus, you will not be sober. You will not be vigilant, which means that you will not be on the lookout for the enemy. And that's a problem. Why? Because he's hunting you. I'm telling you right now, you better pay attention to the rustling of the small grass around you, the brush around you. Because the devil is hunting. But as long as you caught up in your own cares and in everything else, you got your eyes on the horizon. But you need to focus your attention a little bit closer to home and see that the devil is trying to come into your household. attitudes of your children and those in your household suddenly change and you none the wiser you just write it off 
Do you not know somebody is being influenced by the devil? Worldliness becoming more and more the norm. You're losing the desire to go to church, the desire to hear the things of God, and the voice of your conscience is all but gone. The enemy is hunting you. The enemy is hunting you. Are you aware? Are you aware of what's going on? Brothers and sisters, we're going to stop right there. Amen. Praise the Lord. We will pick this back up. This is a good study. We are talking about knowing our enemy, understanding the enemy. And so we've given a lot of information. I want you to be prayerful over that. We will continue in the next lesson, pick this up and uh, finish this up about knowing the enemy. And um, we'll see how far that'll either be uh, one or two more lessons in this, but it's going to be good. You are not going to want to miss it because it's going to help you see. Wow. <laughs>